Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well done for uncovering Whitehall Sources, your new insider podcast on politics, brought to you in association with The Resident, hotels with excellent rooms in exceptional locations, and where thoughtful teams deliver heartfelt hospitality. A bit like number 10, though evening drinks are from Justerini and Brooks with The Resident, not wheeled in in a suitcase. Thanks to The Resident, your favourite podcast starts now. We will deliver, we will deliver, we will deliver. You're prepared to be unpopular, aren't you? Yes, yes I am. Are you absolutely committed to abolishing the 45 pence tax rate for the wealthiest people in the country? Yes. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Welcome to Whitehall Sources, I'm Callum MacDonald with Kirsty Buchanan, former advisor to Liz Truss and Theresa May. Also with Oscar Redrop, who advised Boris Johnson during his time as Prime Minister. To be honest, we didn't expect to be back quite so soon, but then neither did Quasi Quarteng expect to be fired quite so abruptly. Jeremy Hunt, on the other hand, well, perhaps he was expecting to be made Chancellor reasonably soon. Today on the podcast, Liz Truss and the Press Conference of Doom, and Jeremy Hunt gets praised as representing the return of a grown-up. Welcome to a slightly unexpected weekend edition as we take you behind the door of number 10 Downing Street to understand exactly what is going on and what it means. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for finding us. Follow and subscribe to the podcast. Do share us around as well if you feel you can. We'd love that. You can find us on social media. Just search Whitehall Sources on Instagram, on Twitter and on TikTok. You can get extra clips and you can get in touch. Or if you'd rather email, the inbox is always open and the email address is hello at white sources.com I want to begin this episode by I suppose just reflecting on well on how the radio program works so I do Times Radio Breakfast Friday Saturday Sunday and um, some of you may not know that because unbelievably you might not be Times Radio listeners and that blows my mind but anyway it's fine um, so I was doing that this morning we're recording on Saturday 15th of October just after two o'clock that's when we're doing the podcast and this morning Thankfully, we did end up with Jeremy Hunt, the brand new Chancellor on the programme. But I don't know, I just wanted to vent slightly because sometimes the media round is something that's referred to often and I'm just not sure how much we really understand it. And I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it in that we love, obviously, to speak to government ministers and secretaries of state. That's wonderful and a real privilege. But a lot of the time it just feels like it's a total circus of kind of organising and... You know, the night before when our producer's working away, they'll, they'll be kind of lined up and booked and ready to go. And then there's a dropout at the last minute and plans change and things change. And I don't know, I just feel, I know that you guys both will have had experience of being on the other side of this. And it's probably a classic politics versus journalism type thing. Is there a different grievance from your side? basically, because my grievance is, is a bit shambolic and it never quite makes a lot that much sense. I just want consistency and clarity and I seem to always miss that. Have you, have you got that off your chest? Well, I mean, I, I can only promise to probably vent about it again. 
I just, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. No, I, I get this a logistical I, I, nightmare, and there's so many outlets yeah. wanting a bit of a government minister, but it just feels to me like such a game, and I'm like, just do the interviews. Yeah, no, I understand that. I would say the the difficulty is at times, and this was part of my job, and kind of actually don't shoot the messenger. I almost <laughs> was almost. I almost saved that as my own name in my phone uh, as a contact with journalists quite often because there are so many big beasts now. You know, the morning round back in the day was probably, you know, four or five max. And now, you know, you've got Times, Talk, GB News, they've they've come into the fore. You used to do an ITV pre-record pretty much every day. LBC, of course, Nick Ferrari. You know, he, Nick Ferrari's not been <laughs> Never heard of him. Never heard of him. He's not going to take no line down. And then you've, of course, got BBC. It, it, so it's so, so vast. Mm. They're back to back. And you have to remember that you have to get all your briefing done before that. I know a lot Are of Are you viewers, saying you brief they, ministers? <laughs> well, I was just about to say, a lot of uh, li- listeners might be pretty shocked by that, but, but there is a briefing operation. Wow. Sometimes it goes better than, than uh, others, other times. So it is a real logistical nightmare at times. And this is the real tension that is difficult to sometimes uh, articulate. And maybe it's a little bit unsayable to you guys in the media. But ministers ultimately want to do their job. They want to sit behind their desk and make things happen and work. And the media obligations that they do have, that they should have, they should be accountable I think some ministers more than others see it as a real distraction. You know, when they wake up in the morning, they want to get to their office, they want to open their red box and crack on, not do every single TV show in the world. And sometimes just very quickly before you come in, Callum, you can see you raring to go. <laughs> I am there. revving my engine. And sometimes, and it was a difficult part of my job, you're having to explain, you know, what's actually in this for me? Am I, because as particularly when times are tough, it's quite hard to say to a minister... I'm sorry, you have to get up at five in the morning and between you know 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. you have to get an absolute pasting in front of the nation <laughs> for the next, you know, that's quite a hard sell. Yeah. So that's from my end, what I would say. Yeah, and that, I suppose that's helpful and I get that. I, and I, I mean, I get, my thing is always, ministers should be accountable. They should make themselves available to be accountable and it should just be baked in as part of the deal, actually. And I think the other part of this, and I, you know, the number of outlets is something that we are acutely aware of, definitely. There's loads of course there is. That's and, and, but every single one will be look, will be coming at it from a different place, and will also be speaking to a different group of people. So if you add up the total number of people that, as in listeners, viewers, whatever, that you can hit if you do a full media round, that it's huge. And actually, that I think should be seen as more crucial to getting a message out rather than kind of stepping back from it and saying, "Well, we'll just do one or two. Actually, if you do them all, you get the, you, you spread the message further afield, don't you, Kirsty, perhaps? Can I uh, just sort of, in defence of Oscar, doing the broadcast spad job is probably the most thankless task <laughs> at number 10. Um, I have to take some issue with him, though. Not all uh, politicians hate doing the broadcast round by oh, good point. Some, any some stretch of the imagination. Some of them are absolute, you know, um, I can't say the word for the media. Um, and, they, <laughs> and they love a good... They love a good media round. But um, it's interesting to hear you say, Callum, you know, ministers must be held accountable. Yes, they should. But two things here. One, politicians are only human. And, you know, pardon them if they don't want to go on for a day when they're going to have an absolute pasting, particularly for something that isn't their fault or they don't agree with. But that is the nature of collective cabinet responsibility. And two, if they've gone on to uh, promote a policy within their department and you face a media round where you get 16 questions about why is X so useless and shouldn't Y resign, and then you get one throwaway question at the end about the policy that you're actually on there to promote, you can see where some of the tensions lie. And yes, the media are there to hold politicians to account. Of course they are. But they are also there on behalf of their listeners or their readers to get uh, information from ministers about you know what it is that they're doing. It's not just what is going wrong, but what is going on. And and that bit of it, I think the balance sometimes has shifted too much to interrupting ministers, to grandstanding, to getting your clicks for social media, and less about yeah. just actually getting the information that 
that listeners want to hear. And more than once, I've been walking around in my kitchen in the morning going, could you just let him speak? Or could you just let her get a word in edgeways? And it's that. So, yes, there's an inherent tension there. But uh, I, I think both sides need to sort of be a little bit more mindful of the fact that actually, you know, politicians are human. They're there to do a job. They're also there to tell you something. And, you know, it's it's that difficulty, it's that tension that you sometimes pick up on. In your time, Kirsty, who were the ministers who you thought were really, really good on a morning round? As in, it, 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 even if it's not necessarily talking about their policy issue, but, you know, maybe disaster has struck and you just need a really solid, competent well, leader. Th- thank, God you asked me, thank God you asked me who was really good rather than who was really bad. <laughs> I'm going to ask you who was really bad. That was that would be Maddox. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, who was really good? No, I tell you, and, and, it, and it's a funny one because obviously it, it came in a, in a package wrapped your sacked, but... Grant Shapps was an extremely effective communicator, which uh, the current prime minister uh, admitted before she fired him. Uh, you're very good at your job. You're very good at communicating on the media, but you're fired. Um, you can understand. You can understand why he's a bit miffed. Uh, he was very, very good at. Uh, uh, I love. Was it George Bush who said, "If you can fake sincerity, you've got it made." The ability to push out government lines but make them sound. Not like government lines is a skill in its own more. right. Grant Chaps was brilliant at it. The other one who was an absolute hero for the team, always and a really good communicator uh, on broadcast rounds, was Brandon Lewis, uh, yeah. who's now Justice Secretary. He was a guy that you could always you could always count on. Um, Liz Trust, when I worked for her, uh, you know, she obviously she didn't like the media, so we used to spend quite a lot of time making up excuses and, you know, <laughs> killing off you know, minor members of her of family so that she didn't have to <laughs> go on question time. And very famously, I, I finally, we ran out of excuses to go on question time. So eventually we had to do it. And... Uh, it killed just, off all the family. Liz, yeah, <laughs> only minor people, like aunts and cousins and things. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, major members of the family. Um Anyway, so we ended up on question time, and she said to me, I don't care who's on the panel as long as it's not X, and I'm not going to tell you who X is. And we turn up at the green room, and no. there is the one person, the one person she didn't <laughs> want to go on a panel with, and she looked at me, and I looked good kill. I was like, I'm sorry. Oh, my word. <laughs> I don't know if they did it on purpose, because it's a long-time kind of, you know, beta of hers. But, That's yeah, amazing. That was, if you think you can guess who the panellist was, email us right now, hello at whitehallsources.com, and we'll see if we can, um, we'll see if we can draw Kirsty out on it next time. Question time, I have to say to that point, Kirsty. question time, wow, that's, I mean, maybe particularly at the moment, maybe it was always the way, but that was a tough slot to book from my perspective. Really? You know, I know you really want to, on a Thursday night, you want to go home to your family and, and you know, spend time with your loved ones, but I need to send you up to Salford to get absolutely ruined <laughs> by very angry members of the public for two hours publicly. That was a really, really tough sell. Mm. And actually a really different skill set, interestingly, than the morning broadcast round. I think it really requires a really different type of communicator and performer. The thing that I... A resilient one. <laughs> yeah, a much, yeah, a, re- a real resilient one for sure. One of the things for me is very much that you get when, as an interviewer is that you are given your allocated time. And I think sometimes our listeners to Times Radio Breakfast perhaps don't necessarily clock that, but you kind of get your eight minutes or whatever and you've got to just go for it. And you're kind of like, oh. And one, one thing that I will say as well is that with us on our station, our, our thing is that we don't interrupt and that we give people a chance to speak. And with some ministers, that's great because they are punchy and actually they, they like that because they can say things, which in other places they just get closed down. Um, on the other hand, if you have a bad communicator and you don't, and our thing is not to interrupt them, they can still be waffling after a minute and a half. You're like, come on, guys, I've got a whole bunch of questions to get through. And you're saying nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, that was my little pet peeve since we last spoke. I have to say, credit where it's due, the new Chancellor did come on, the, he made time, he found time and came on the programme. And so that's wonderful. It was just, it was the kind of in-between bit that was a bit like, ah, come on, like, our listeners really want to hear from you today. Um, and and to, uh, to listen to him as well, you know, he, I am reminded that he is a very effective communicator. And if you mm. want to press a button say send someone who sounds calm and reassuring and will you know smooth the market nerves 
uh, you'd have to go a long way to find anyone better than Jeremy Hunt for that. All morning, so we start at six o'clock in the morning, and from the second we went on air this morning, text, we want a general election, Liz Truss is cooked, this is all done, what a disaster, catastrophe, boom, 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 boom. And we were deliberately saying on air, if you're, if you're supportive of Liz Truss, like, get, you're welcome to get in touch too. We are reflecting exactly what we are getting. And that happened for three and a half hours, and then Jeremy Hunt appeared. And we had five or six minutes with him. And immediately, immediately, the texts changed. Immediately. And people were well, saying, that feels I mean, like I- there's a grown-up in the room. That it feels like, I feel reassured. Somebody said, reassured, 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 feels better than growth, growth, growth. And so it, it, it was honestly, it was staggering. I've never seen anything like it in terms of responses to political interviews, where all morning the mood had been whoop, one way and Jeremy Hunt appears and it switches completely. Well, that's a good appointment by Liz then. Good call, no? Something we can talk about <laughs> over the next half hour or so. Welcome to Whitehall Sources. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for finding the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching as well. We're on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Whitehall Sources to find us and follow us. Subscribe, leave reviews. You know how podcasts work. Tell your friends as well, because otherwise they'll feel left out, and that's not very fair at all. What we are going to do on this episode is introduce um, a new feature. We're calling it Stop and Roll. And this is because Liz Truss gave us the gift of a brief, punchy... Uh, what, other, what other words can I use to describe her press conference? <laughs> what, on air? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ideally family. I don't want to have to tick the explicit content box, but I mean, well, feel free. cruel, guys. Very cruel. <laughs> Gosh, I have to say, this was an eight-minute press conference where, politics aside, she probably tipped me over into feeling slightly sorry for her. I, th- wow. I think is yeah. fair to, you know, when you see a human being who is clearly having a really tough time of it, I just, I've, I just felt like she's at the end of the road. Yeah, I mean, on a human level, of course, you feel sorry for her and for her family. She's got, you know, a couple of kids that are seeing her go through this and her husband seeing her go through this. It, you know, politics is a, it's an extremely rough business. I don't think it gets any tougher than this. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, yesterday was another one that I wanted to watch through my fingers. It was just, it was just. It was gruesome. It was. So this is stop and roll. What we're going to do is play the press conference. And as we want to comment on what is going on, we will stop it. We will talk about it and then we'll roll it and we'll move on. So it's stop it and roll it. This is Whitehall Sources. Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, hotels that are your home away from home in London and Liverpool. Resident hotels provide the perfect base to explore the city. Maybe you stayed in The Resident in Liverpool for the Labour Party conference just a few weeks ago, or you may be looking for a base from which to explore London. You might even be on a political pilgrimage to Whitehall and Downing Street, inspired by this very podcast. Whitehall Sources brings you the inside info on politics. The Resident brings you insider info on your chosen destination. Go to residenthotels.com to become a member and secure exclusive rates, and the Resident teams will support you throughout your stay. This is Stop It and Roll It. We are going to listen to Liz Truss's press conference. We'll stop it as we go along, uh, as we want to comment on the <laughs> highlights. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I should try and say this with a straight face. Stop laughing. Yeah, sorry, I feel bad about it. The, <laughs> the highlights of the press conference, but also what it is giving away. What, what about Liz Truss as Prime Minister and indeed her next steps, what it's telling us. We'll stop it, then we'll roll it. You get the idea. Uh, right, here we go. Let's start the press conference. Good afternoon. Stop it. Now, I do want to just say, I think I think this is perhaps one of the most forlorn entries to a press conference I've ever experienced, ever. I, I think I immediately felt sorry for her. Uh, look, I mean, there's a human component to this, isn't there? Definitely, um, definitely. And it's hard when things are this brutal for a outgoing leader, no matter what you think about them or their tenure, it's hard not to feel sorry for them because... Politics is an ugly old business, and 
Yeah. At no point is it uglier than in the kind of entropic end of days phase that this seemed to seemed uh, to be to be heading towards. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you. She kind of you know, slopey shouldered was kind of the phrase that that sprung to mind when I when I watched her sort of creep in. Mm. I don't know if she was pitching at kind of solemn and prime ministerial, but it just came across as as whipped and defeated. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let's rule it. Let's carry on. My conviction that this country needs to go for growth is rooted in my personal experience. I know what it's like to grow up somewhere that isn't feeling the benefits of growth. I saw go on, Kirsty. So uh, I think this is the point of trying to remind people about why it is that she was going to go for growth in the first place. I think... One of the things, if you remember, she stood on the steps of number 10 and said she wanted to create an aspiration nation. She's not pretending that her background was one of extreme poverty, but it was one of being kind of traditional lower middle class where education and hard work were going to get you everything that you wanted in life. And there's a there's been a long running theme in politics for quite some time about uh, the broken British promise is what Ed Miliband used to call it. The idea that, you know, if you work hard, do the right thing, that, you know, you'll, you'll get on in life. And that's broken for, and that you can guarantee your children will have a better quality of life than you have. And, and for uh, the generation that comes below me, that that's no longer true. 35-year-old and under, you know, have like practically zero chance of getting on the housing ladder. Yeah. Um, capitalism, sorry. <laughs> capitalism doesn't work. For the you know for people under thirty five anymore the the accumulation of wealth in this country comes through being able to buy a house that is broken for people so it was an important point for her to say look this is what I was in it for this is what I was trying to do I thought it was actually a good start and I think I mean ultimately we we know how this press conference goes but I think the the growth strategy needed more comms based on that personal experience and that human touch I think it's all very well and good screaming at the top of your lungs, growth, growth, growth at people. But you had to translate what that means for, you know, a working family who were trying to get by. So actually, I remember when, when she started that press conference, the, the part we're up to now, I kind of thought, oh, here we go. She's actually putting that human that human story behind something that is very Whitehall-y and arch. Are we going to see the, 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 the emotive kind of campaign for what she believes in? Um, I'm sure as you click play now, it didn't, necessarily quite transpire that way mm. let's rule it what that meant and i'm not prepared to accept that for our country i want a country where people can get good jobs new businesses can set up and families can afford an even better life stop it which prime minister doesn't question mark let's rule it that's why from day one i've been ambitious for growth since the 2008 financial crisis the potential of this great country has Stop. been held back. <laughs> Go on. So I think this is a slight mistake, almost internally, amongst MPs and ministers, where they have felt that this new government have slightly trashed the reputation of the Conservative Party that have been in office since 2010. There's been quite a lot of that. You know, we, we've seen, you know, 10 years of stagflation we've got this wrong we got that wrong and actually if you think about the people that are baying for blood right now a lot of those people worked in those governments um over the years and i think always harking back to you know mistakes of the past isn't particularly smart i think the conservative party throughout that 2010 and actually through to your time kirsty uh, uh with theresa may there was a level of economic competency, you know, austerity. People didn't like it, but I think they understood it. And uh, obviously, when Boris came in and the work that Kirsty did and, and Cameron um, before that, they set, they we had money to spend. The economy was in a decent way before COVID hit. And then there was that investment project from Boris and, and Rishi. So when, the constant harking back and trusting that reputation, I don't think goes down well internally at all. Let's roll it back by persistently weak growth. I want to deliver a low-tax, high-wage, high-growth economy. It's what I was elected by my party to do. That mission remains. Stop. People are 
This phrase, that mission remains, uh, although she doesn't put a time frame on it, uh, is a constant theme throughout this very short press conference and press statement. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of um, Theresa May in the delightful 2017 general election that I had so much fun on. Uh, and you'll remember, obviously, one of the central planks of the manifesto was uh, around making tough choices on social care and social care funding, which was rapidly dubbed the dementia tax by the media um, and forced a U-turn, which in one fell swoop just completely destroyed the brand of strong and stable Theresa May. Um, and you'll remember she stood at a press conference and, and declared nothing had changed when everyone could patently see that everything had changed uh, in terms of this this policy. And this, this determination to sort of try and, you know, retain some face here and say, look, the mission is still the same at the very point that, you know, all, you're, all the sand around you is crumbling and your, and your castle of growth, growth, growth is descending into the sea, um, was the bit for me that I found kind of, you know, almost sort of tragic. Mm. Let's continue. We, we've, we've made it through a minute and a bit so far. Yeah, let's give it, come on, let's give, let's give the Prime Minister a chance, guys. Come on. <laughs> I mean, here we go. Across this country rightly wants stability. That's why we acted to support businesses and households with their energy costs this winter. It's also the case that global economic conditions are worsening due to the continuation of Putin's appalling war in Ukraine. And on top of this, debt was amassed helping people through the COVID pandemic. But it is clear that parts of our mini budget went further and faster the markets were expecting. So the Stop. way we... I hate to hold up proceedings, but <laughs> uh, this is uh, the latest excuse. We went further and faster than markets were expecting. Again, we are back on the pocket of it's about communications, it's about pace, uh, it's not about the policy per se. And again, it's this determination to say, look, you know, my idea is right, my delivery was wrong, when actually... There is every argument to say your idea was wrong, the policy is wrong, to uh, create a, a massive wave of unfunded uh, tax cuts at a time of high inflation, uh, you know, is economic madness. It's not, it's, it's yeah. not a matter of challenging orthodoxy. It's just the wrong thing to do. And it's exactly the argument that was had in the leadership election. It's exactly the warning that Rishi had, and it's exactly the lesson that she should have learned from Thatcher that, you know, the first thing you need to do in, in times of, a, of soaring inflation is bring that down before you then create the conditions for growth that then lead to tax cuts, not the other way around. I think we'll probably, there's more on this, I think, with, with Jeremy Hunt as well, having heard from him this morning. What was so notable in what he was saying was he... In, in the interview that we that my co-presenter Chloe did with him, it was so interesting because he positioned himself kind of alongside Liz Truss in that he still maintained that they both have this ambition for low corporation tax, low business taxes, and that's something they share. However, he said, we will not be able to do that as quickly as we would both like. And I think there's two things in there. One is the, the, the timing admission, but also the fact that he was lining himself up alongside Liz Trust to kind of say, look, we, we both have the same target in mind, but it's going to be further down the line somewhere. Well, if you want to know the point at which Trustonomics died, it died during that broadcast round of Jeremy Hunt this morning. Yeah. In essence, he is saying exactly in terms of what Rishi Sunak said throughout the leadership contest, that before you get to tax cuts and before you get to growth, you need to bring inflation under control. If you don't, you make everything far deeper and far worse than it needs to be. So exactly. in essence, exactly. Thatcher said, but when Thatcher inherited almost exactly the same kind of horrific legacy, economic legacy that, that Liz Truss inherited, Liz Truss is right in that press conference to say post-pandemic inflationary pressures are felt across the world right now. She's right to say that a lot of um, you know, central banks are moving to raise interest rates to curb that. Well, what she did, what the policies of that of that mini budget were about, were actually fueling inflation, not bringing it down. And Thatcher said in 1980, when she had the same sort of legacy, you've got to take the hard medicine. 
Inflation, mm -hmm. she said, is the destroyer of all, of industry, of jobs, of livelihoods of society. And if you don't tackle that first, you won't get growth and then you won't be able to see the tax cuts. We are, the, the Conservatives are a party of low taxation, but it's got to be based on sound money and sound economics. Jeremy Hunt, on his morning round today, kind of saddling alongside her on the overarching aim for growth means nothing. Of course, I mean, who, <laughs> which prime minister and which chancellor doesn't want the UK economy to grow? It's everything that follows after that statement from Ch Jeremy Hunt that actually needs to be listened to. And that is the pace that is actual finding uh, the, the funding for these tax cuts in time. That's actually looking into departments. And actually, you know what, when I watched that broadcast round, it was like being back in 2011. You know, it was, it was austerity talk. That's where we're at. That's the reality. The overarching aim of going for growth, great, of course, but <laughs> it's not actually what's important. Mm. Okay, back to Liz Truss and her fateful press conference uh, yesterday. Let's roll it. We are delivering our mission right now has to change. We need to act now to reassure the markets of our fiscal discipline. I have therefore decided to keep the increase in corporation tax that was planned by the previous government. This will raise £18 billion per year. It will act as a down payment on our full medium-term fiscal plan, which will be accompanied by a forecast from the independent OBR. Very quick start. We I'm going to keep it really quick. That is in the right direction. That was a bit of meat on the bone. That was showing a little, <laughs> admittedly, a, a, a little, a little amount of detail, and you you would hope reassuring competency. That was a bit of meat, I thought, mm. uh, in the press conference yesterday. Mm. As we see, as, as we play it again, it's not really built upon. <laughs> we'll do whatever is necessary to ensure debt is falling as a share of the economy in the medium term. We will control the size of the state to ensure that taxpayers' money is always well spent. Our public sector will become more efficient to deliver world-class services for the British people. And spending will grow less rapidly than previously planned. Stop. Austerity. Okay. <laughs> exactly so. So uh, the implication of of these this section of the speech is is this. Yes, you've you've put 18 billion pounds back into the uh, kitty, if you like, but you are still, by the IFS uh, estimates, 40 billion pounds adrift. And if you're saying spending will rise less quickly than planned, the reality is that inflation has already eaten away into that uh, original planning. And so if you slow spending further, what your, real your reality is you're looking at tax, you're looking at spending cuts. That's the, that's the truth of it. And if you, you couple that, combined with Jeremy Hunt's media round this morning where he said, look, you know, everything is on the table. We are looking at, you know, a real difficult set of circumstances and there are no easy choices here. And he said, interestingly, he also said all departments, all departments will yeah, be on the table for, for this. This includes the NHS. This also includes the Ministry of Defence, which potentially raises a spectre again. Of, of another one of Truss's promises from the leadership being torpedoed, which is that, you know, that spending on, on the armed forces will rise by 3% of GDP. That also looks like that might go as well. So he's she and he are now laying the ground for exactly the one thing that she promised she wouldn't have, which is spending cuts. And she would, you know, we, we were promised a, a prime minister of tax cuts. And in the end, we've ended up with spending cuts. As we listen to this, and you were, you're right, in terms you can hear the, the nails in the coffin, it, one after another, after another, as you hear what Liz Truss has to say. And I think the final nail in the coffin came when Jeremy Hunt hung up the phone to us on the radio this morning. And that was that. It was done. The whole economic plan was now up in smoke. It was gone. And actually, while there were still um, sort of, there's still some clinging, I guess, to the remnants of it. But what you're saying, Kirsty, is that actually that that is not going to hold. That between now, Saturday yeah. the 15th, and the 31st of October, which I think is a Monday, but over the next couple of weeks, actually, that's it's, it's just going to disappear by the time we get this next and, announcement. And that's so reflective of the battles to come. You know, just, just to Kirsty's point, you could almost hear, you know, with, with all kind of spending 
department spending uh, reviews on the table, you could almost hear Ben Wallace's WhatsApp message hitting Liz's phone. You know, we need to have a chat. Mm. And there will be battles in departments for the, you know, in the not too distant future on every level. Is that what the next two weeks looks like as a result of everything that's happened today is that departments and, and the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are all now up against each other, basically? I think so. I mean, I actually, I, I, I'm being quite specific about the Ben Wallace yeah. uh, point because Ben Wallace is, I think, widely acknowledged to be brilliant in his role. And part of his brilliance is how he absolutely fights tooth and claw for every, every pence and pound that department can get their hands on. Uh, so I actually think that will be one of the the more immediate confrontations mm-hmm. that uh, number ten and eleven will have to face. Well, the other the other really interesting one I thought from the round of Jeremy Hunt this morning was that he wasn't ruling out he wasn't ring fencing the NHS. Now you know we have got a backlog in the NHS of six point five million patients post COVID. We have nurses record levels of nurses leaving the service mm. and we have the rcn at the moment currently balloting three hundred thousand nurses for strike action so the idea that this isn't from the get-go ring fenced by a former health secretary i find uh, extremely interesting i mean look my guess is when we get there on the 31st and this looks like it's going to be much more like a full-scale budget than a kind of you know a, a, a dusting up exercise if you like um you know, the reality is, I think, that the, that the NHS will be ring-fenced. I think politically it's just not viable to do otherwise to it. But then that just means that there's going to be more pain for other departments to share. And it's very, very difficult to see now how that, that trust promise for defence spending holds. Let's get back to the press conference as helping guide our conversation as we understand where exactly we are up to with Liz Truss, the new Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, indeed, as well. And I suppose what the direction is over the next couple of weeks. Let's roll it. I met the former Chancellor earlier today. Stop it. Didn't name him. I I think that just as a quick thing, she didn't say his name. These two are widely regarded to be such close friends in politics their plan was they were they were linked so interlinked their plan they were singing from the same hymn sheet i've never seen two people share a hymn sheet so closely and she can't use his name well she does go on to say in defense callum in defense she does go on to say she i think she calls him a very close you know dear friend mm, mm. Um, <laughs> with dear friends like that yeah exactly exactly <laughs> what a dear friend he is you know he flies dear over friend there. you are sacked by twitter yes exactly um, <laughs> he found out from the times he was a pe- he apparently touched down at heathrow airport and we were all watching the plane arrive it was very exciting and he had no idea mm, officially that he was going to be fired and then it was a report i believe from the times political editor stephen swinford that alerted yeah. quasi quarteng to the fact that he was being fired and this is what makes this press conference ultimately so brutal because when she gets to the point where she asks questions and she looks for journalists that she thinks are going to kind of softball her at nice try <laughs> uh, they all ask pretty much the same thing which is look you two worked on this budget together you had a vision of growth for the country that you came up with together he enacted exactly what you wanted him to do, yet he has been fired and you stay in post. These are your failures. This is your budget. How can you sack a chancellor and remain in the post for delivering exactly what you wanted him to? And that's what makes this so painful. And if, you know, and yes, there's a human component that feels sorry for the prime minister, but there's also a human component that feels sorry for Quasi Quasi. Not only is he sacked for doing exactly what his prime minister wanted to, he's been nothing but loyal to her. So if he feels aggrieved right now, I think he has every right to. The one question, and admittedly there was only four, but the one question that was not asked, I don't think it was asked on the morning round today, and I understand why, because I mean, Hunt would probably just shrug his shoulders and go, well, that's not on me. But no one's actually asked specifically why the Chancellor was sacked. Mm, what he did wrong. Why was he sacked? Mm, what was the misstep? Yeah, absolutely, which is a really blindingly obvious question to me that would have actually been very revealing for her to, for the Prime Minister to answer. Um, Do you think she yeah. would have answered it? But, but she would have said, I know exactly what she would have said, because she kind of says it in terms in this press conference. She says, we need to stabilise the mm. markets. We need to reassure the markets. Forgetting, of course, or, or, or not forgetting, but refusing to address the fact that the markets 
were destabilized, not by quasi Kwarteng, but by the policies of that budget. So when there was a rumor that went round, obviously, that she was going to U-turn on corporation tax, you see the pound and the and the markets and the pension, you know, the, the gilts on the on the on the bonds and the pension market, that they, they rally. And then as that press conference goes on, the pension bonds start to fall again, the pound starts to fall again. Because actually, there's a realization that she's still trying to cling to quite a lot of those unfunded tax cuts. Yes, you've taken corporation tax off the table and put 18 billion pounds back in the treasury coffers, but 50% of those unfunded tax cuts are still currently on the table. So you've seen the markets destabilize again. It's not quasi. That getting rid of quasi is not the issue. The issue is that you still have a huge chunk of unfunded tax cuts in the middle of cost of living crisis and spiraling inflation. That is the issue. That is what she's refusing to address. That is where Jeremy Hunt, judging by his round this morning, is clearly determined to just sweep aside trustonomics, go back to good old-fashioned sound money. We found the Penguin Book of Sound Money in the <laughs> Treasury again, opened it up again and said, right, the first thing you do in a time of high inflation is you squeeze that inflation down, then you go for growth. Did somebody say the return of orthodoxy? Gosh, imagine. <laughs> Perish the thought. Uh, right, let's roll it. I was incredibly sorry to lose him. Mm. He is a great friend and he shares my vision (laughs) to set this country on the path to growth. Today, I have asked Jeremy Hunt to become the new Chancellor. He's one of the most experienced and widely respected government ministers and parliamentarians. Stop. And he shares... As Julia Roberts would say in Pretty Woman, big mistake, huge. Um, (laughs) Excellent reference. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes, he is a respected, uh, experienced operator, uh, well-respected, perhaps too respected for his trust. In essence, what she's done there is created an immediate kind of king next door, uh, a prime minister in all but name. And... She becomes then a hollowed out uh, prime minister without purpose. Uh, he now rules the roost. He is incredibly powerful. She can't afford to sack him. She can't afford to say no to what he wants to do in terms of, of the budget that's coming on October the 31st. So she is now uh, the living definition of being in office, but not in power. Uh, the other problem for the parliamentary party of appointing Jeremy Hunt is that actually, in terms of calming the markets and doing the right thing by the economy, that will actually probably work now, which means that the parliamentary party that wants to look at getting rid of Liz Truss now can't use October the 31st as a flashpoint. So they either get rid of her quickly or they're saddled with a lame duck prime minister. They look at her and say, do we want this woman to take us into the next general election? I think the majority of the MPs within the party clearly would say no. But what is your next flashpoint? That then leaves us potentially going right through Christmas and into the local elections next May before they can use a a vehicle, if you like. And we are back to the point that the reason that they, they can't act now, and I suspect if you open the Sunday papers tomorrow, they'll be full of stories about, you know, Conservatives at war tearing themselves over, you know, over their inability to choose a unity candidate to replace her with. And the thing that's holding her in power right now is the inability of the Conservatives to compromise mm. and coalesce around a single candidate. And that is, I suspect, the only thing that's keeping her in number 10. I think on Flashpoints, we were discussing again on the radio programme this morning that Monday is is the next one because it's when the markets will open and they will have had the weekend. Now, I think just as a sidebar to this, often we refer to the markets and it can feel a bit over there and ambiguous. It's worth remembering that the markets are people. It's people that are casting judgments on these situations and people form narratives among themselves. And particularly in a markets context, once there is a narrative, you have to, as a prime minister in this situation, you have to get into that narrative and change it. And so Monday, when the markets open, is going to be a real defining moment in terms of whether that narrative has been changed, whether there has been an interruption in the narrative as far as the appointment of Jeremy Hunt, the the interviews today, the round today, whether that has done anything to shape how the people who form the markets and make market opinions and form market movements, whether they have shifted at all. I would actually be sending out Hunt to do the Sunday shows 
as well as well as the morning. Give round him a second, a second crack morning. at the whip this weekend. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just for to, that very reason. To be fair to Jeremy Hunt, he's quite busy trying to rescue the economy from <laughs> trussonomic collapse. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, but 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 actually, I suspect that you know to that point, I think the the markets will rally because of what they've heard on Saturday. I think they know there's a grown up back in the room. I think they know that Hunt is both has the power and determination to do all the painful things that are necessary to, to, to right the economy and get this country on a sustainable footing. And it's very interesting to see uh, that her growth, growth, growth has been replaced by Hunt's sustainable growth. Mm. Well, let's crack on with this press conference, as I'm sure by this point Liz Truss was wishing that it would just end. Um, we're, all, we're all getting that feeling now, I think it's fair to say. Right, let's roll it. As my convictions and ambitions for our country... He will deliver the medium-term fiscal plan at the end of this month. He will see through the support we are providing to help families and businesses, including our energy price guarantee that's protecting people from higher energy bills this winter. And he will drive our mission to go for growth, including taking forward the supply-side reforms that our country needs. Stop. It's a very important reminder that actually just the, sh the scale of the lame duckness that is now Liz Truss. Because of all the battles that, and all the political capital she's completely expended on this budget, the supply side was the second part of this. So you cut, you know, you cut taxes, cut, 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 and then you rip up regulation and you, you have a bonfire of red tape and you build, build, build. Well... Actually, that's not easy to do either. We've twice had in recent years, and the Conservative Party has twice had uh, planning reforms that have twice led to massive, massive battles within the Conservative Party, particularly in the South, you know, the Blue Wall, you know, South MPs. There is no chance now, I suspect, that any of the more provocative measures that she wants to do on supply side reform will get through either. That will isolate a lot of the right. Uh, the the right wing of the party hugely because I know that was something those supply side reforms something they were really passionate and excited about you know because it because it does I mean and and I would probably include myself in them they're probably not realistic and that's the harsh reality but that absolutely filters through to all aspects of life transport infrastructure childcare and, and here is the pity of it right you know in essence she's been torn apart, if you yeah. like, by, by, by both sides of the party, in appeasing the perfectly reasonable demands of the One Nation Caucus to have sound you know, economics and sound money principles. She's junking the bit of the centre-right of the party, the right of the party, that actually supported her and put her into power. So in trying to appease the people over here, she's aggravated and alienated the people over here. And her entire, what base, what little base she had, bear in mind she was only elected by a third of the parliamentary party to start with, she's now completely alienated. And these are people that went out to bat for her and fought for her. They're angry too now about all the U-turns. Mm. Back to the press conference of doom. Next generation to improve our economic performance, to deliver higher wages, new jobs and better public services, and to ease the burden of debt. I have acted decisively today because my priority is ensuring our country's economic stability. As Prime Minister, I will always act in the national interest. This is always my first consideration. I want to be honest, Stop. this is difficult. I will always act in the national interest is a real sign of a PM under severe pressure, severe pressure. And what's being reflected, because I remember when Boris was Prime Minister and people were calling for him to go, it was the liaison committee, I think the day that everyone was resigning <laughs> whilst he was in there, it was all about, and he, he'd done PMQs that day as well. It was always, I must act in the national interest. The national interest right now is consistency. We can't turn over a new Prime Minister. I know how dark and tough things are right now but I need to protect myself. And that's why I'm saying the national interest, the national interest, stability, stability, stability. She's not really actually talking about the economy there, in my opinion. 
The irony of all of this is is we are in this, she is in this pickle, we are in this pickle, precisely because she didn't act in the national interest. Her entire platform for her premiership was based on a, a very narrow and niche ideological belief. That's what she sought to impose on the country, her ideological free market beliefs, not actually what the the vast majority, if you like, mm. the orthodoxy thought was needed for the country in a time of a cost of living crisis, which is why we ended up with her cutting the top rate of, of, of income tax at a time of cost of living crisis and why that went down so badly, because she wasn't acting in the national interest. She was acting in a party political way in a very small section of that party to boot. Mm. Uh, we are nearly at the excruciating question and answer section of the press conference, so stand by for this. But we will get through this storm and we will deliver the strong and sustained growth that can transform the prosperity of our country for generations to come. I'll now take questions. Good luck, everyone. Um, can I start with Ben Riley smith <laughs> Telegraph. Thank you, Prime Minister. Clearly a difficult day. Can you explain to the public why you think you should remain as Prime Minister, given you've jumped a key tax cut that led you to be elected and got rid of your Chancellor? I'm absolutely determined to see through what I have promised, to deliver a higher growth, more prosperous United Kingdom, to see us through the storm we face. We've already delivered the energy price guarantee, making sure people aren't facing huge bills this winter. But it was right in the face of the issues that we had that I acted decisively to ensure that we have economic stability, because that is vitally important to people and businesses right across our country. Uh, Can we stop there quickly, Callum? I mean, she did. So, yes, we can. <laughs> you could, by the way, at this point, we're all cringing. Really quickly. All <laughs> of us right there. Is, it is, it's through the fingers time. <laughs> it's, really it's so confusing. All of these questions are basically of the same, you know, from the same page. It was an interesting uh, start to the question from Ben. Ben acknowledged that this had been a really difficult time, really difficult day. And I think uh, in responding to that, there is an opportunity to acknowledge that. It is quite a human start to the question, which is, you know, considering how febrile things are at the moment, maybe wasn't necessarily expected. And of course, you know, the the actual content of the question is completely brutal, of course. But it would have been a nice opportunity for the Prime Minister to acknowledge that and actually kind of connect like a human being with Ben and the, the watching public and show sh- show exactly that. Yes, Ben, this is a really difficult time. And this has been a really difficult day for me. And you know what? I'm going to hold my hands up. And I have actually made a few mistakes here. There have been some mistakes made. But, but Ben, it's my job as Prime Minister to rise, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she didn't quite, she, she didn't, he gave her a branch to connect. And he, she, she, she just didn't, she didn't grab it. And... Oh my gosh, Oscar! Before we even get to the get to the question and the answer, the scanning of the room, <laughs> the painful kind of looking for who is that nice journalist yeah. that I think will ask me a nice question. The um that you can hear not once I think, but every single time she looks for a journalist is absolutely toe curling. And if Number Ten lost the kind of Penguin Book of Sound Money. They seem to have lost the guidebook for, for comms 101. If you're going to do a press conference, you say to the Prime Minister... I mean, it was so bad. You, know, you put the people that are going to be answering the questions in the front two rows. You give the... Because you can't... What you don't know, if you're the Prime Minister and you're standing there by the lectern, there's lots of lights right mm. from the cameras and what have you. So it's a little bit like being an actor on a stage. You can't really see past the first couple of rows. So you put all the journalists that you want to ask the questions or expect to ask the questions in the front two rows. And before the Prime Minister comes in, you'll say, right, you know, Ben Riley-Smith of the of the Daily Telegraph is sat basically on your right-hand side of the lectern, Beth Rigby from the sky is on the left, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so you've got an idea so that you're not left 
hanging and scanning the crowd to try and find what you think might be a friendly face in it. It is it is just yeah. just the perfect end to a really grim press conference. It's inexplicable. You could drive a bus through these silences, by the way. It's one of those where when you speak to the, the studio managers in our radio station, when they're playing this out live, it's one of those moments where they look around and go, something gone wrong? Why is there silence? Why is why is this not flowing? Have we have we pushed a button? Have we dropped? What's going wrong? Something- have we have we broken her? Is exactly, she broken? Yeah. Does she need recharged? <laughs> just just for a bit of balance on that though. Often Boris was charged with waffling and you know filling these spaces with things that often people couldn't really decipher and didn't really make sense. So I can see why she perhaps naturally was an attractive communicator during that selection process in terms of being the real antithesis to that. Mm. Just every word she speaks, almost quite robotically, is in place. She will take her time. She will not say unnecessary words that are not needed. But under pressure like this, it it, it, it it doesn't quite translate. No, and sometimes she doesn't say any words when words are needed. In any case, she did she did manage to find... You're trying, Callum. I know, you're trying really well. I'm trying to be objective too, because it's not my it's not my place necessarily to comment on the politics or anything. I don't think that's for me. But on in terms of media performance, actually, I can probably I can probably have a good crack at that. And this was a bad one. And look, and this isn't me having a pop at the prime minister. You know, what were the aides thinking? I'm sorry. And I look, I've done the job. I don't want to be critical. I know how difficult it is. And I made plenty of mistakes when I was in there myself. But it is a basic rule because of the lights, because you can't see, you put the people that you are going to be asking the questions in the front two rows. There is another point here, which is that she asks, she answers four questions and then she, you know, stalks off. Tony Blair used to have something called the, the masochism strategy. Mm. So if you're in a, if you're in a crisis and you're going to face a lot of angry questions from a lot of angry journalists, you let them run. Yeah. You let them blow themselves out of steam. So in end, we got kind of the worst of all worlds. She did a press conference, which was very short, eight minutes, 21 seconds, to be precise. Nice. And then she asked four questions. She gave pretty much the same answer to all of them. And then she left. Mm which left journalists shouting at her as she walked out of the room and quite angry because quite a lot of those journalists are broadcast journalists. They need to do clips and they need to be, you know, seen to be asking questions. So she's just made an extremely bad situation, immeasurably worse, when actually there was an opportunity there to let it run, to let that kind of anger drain out, to take it on the chin, to show some humility and some empathy and to and to reset the dial and actually... Uh, Mike, I'm sure Oscar you had the same thing. My text messages afterwards from a variety of different people pretty much said the same thing. WTAF. Mm. Well, let's leave. Do you know what? Let's leave yeah. the press conference there for that exact reason that the questions were all similar. It went to Harry Cole of the of the uh, of the Sun. There was genuine anger towards the end. There weren't more questions asked and answered. There was a bit of kind of shouting after the Prime Minister as she then left the room as well. You know, uh, are you not going to apologise, Prime Minister? Was one of them, I think, maybe from Krishnan Gurumurthy of Channel Four News. And in terms of press conferences, it will go down as a bad one. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I think that. It, for all the reasons we've outlined, actually, it's 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 actually a really good press conference in terms of it lends itself to us dissecting exactly what is going wrong with Liz Truss's time as Prime Minister in a very handy eight minutes or so. Um, I just wonder, as we sort of as we look to what happens now, would Jeremy Hunt have been? And this is kind of a stupid question, but let me go with it. Would he have been a natural choice for Liz Truss? Clearly it's stupid because she didn't choose him in the first place, and I take that. But at this moment of crisis, do you think his name would have been top of her list, or is that something that's been advised? Uh, I think it's probably um, a consequence of where she is at the moment. So there are people that, in theory, should have been a a more natural fit. So Sajid Javid was on her campaign team and has served as a chancellor, uh, so too has uh, Nadine Zahawi was on her campaign team. But she needed to be able to show that she had listened, she had learnt, and she needed to be able to appease some of the parliamentary party. So in essence, she needed to go for a big hitter who was a Rishi Sunak supporter. Uh, and he comes with the added benefit of being just kind of reassurance in his DNA. But you know, the reality is now that the parliamentary party have got a chancellor who is likely to calm the market, and they face a choice now. And the choice is, do we still act and try and remove her 
and don't you know underestimate this you know the conservative party have got have, have now this such an inbuilt kind of swipe swipe left mentality that they are all now you know talking about when do we get rid of her how do we get rid of her it's not a matter of if it is a matter of when the issue is who do you replace her with and that is what is the sticking point. And it's not just, by the way, um, you know, an issue for MPs in the parliamentary party. I have a, a friend of mine who's, who's a senior civil servant who texted me this week um, uh, as per one of my Whitehall sources. Um, and she made a very valuable point to me. She said, look, you know, there is an issue here for the civil service too. If they look at Jeremy Hunt now being in place as a chancellor who's likely to calm the markets and therefore likely to give the prime minister... Um, a, a bit more time, who knows how long, but a bit more time. In essence, that leaves the civil service in a conundrum of its own because they've got a massive intray, the same intray that the prime minister had. You know, you've got war in Ukraine and, you know, Ukrainian refugees. You've got a, a looming winter crisis, probably. You've got, you know, a massive intray of things. You've got to, you know, heat people, you know, make sure people can heat their homes. And, you know, you've got all the energy crisis issues to, to deal with, too. And on top of that, you're being asked to drive forward bills for a prime minister who you think probably won't be there for that much longer. So in essence, what happens in situations like this is the civil service adopts a kind of go slow policy. So on top of everything else, ministers will find it really, really hard to get any of the kind of legislative processes out the, you know, th through the door because you know, it becomes kind of slowest common denominator, if you like. The civil service will go slow on everything because I think, look, you guys, you know, you've eaten yourselves, you know, mm. the Prime Minister will be gone soon, there'll be a general election, we're just going to sit back on this because we have got a mass of work to do and actually we need to concentrate on what is most important, most critical for the country right now and it's not getting down through the bills of what we now perceive to be a lame duck Prime Minister. Yeah. A, a lame duck Prime Minister, Oscar, is that something you can relate to? In, I'm just thinking that in the... In the last spell of Boris Johnson's, what are you trying to suggest, Callum? <laughs> in the, in the last, I mean, I don't want to be too explicit about it, but in the last days of <laughs> Boris Johnson's time, I mean, certainly he was presiding uh, from a beach somewhere um, over the last, you know, spell as prime minister, and even before that, it felt like he'd kind of lost a lost a grip, really, hadn't he? Is this is this the same thing again, where the prime minister, is, as we were saying earlier, is in office but not in power? Well, look, I, un I understand we're at the stage now of it's not if, it's when. However, you have to actually slightly calm down and really sit back and think, what does it actually take for that lame duck to become extinct? And actually, there are a few movements and processes that we are not that close to yet as we speak now letters going in you kind of hear rumors about that i mean there were rumors about letters going in when liz i mean literally in her second day of office what really turns it it is cabinet ministers mm. that's what happened with boris ultimately it was cabinet ministers on mass turning up to number 10 and saying the game's up yeah. it's done and that's when it all started to fall apart and i don't i still don't feel like we're at that stage yet I still, I still feel like there is room for her to get through it, I, particularly as we've discussed today. Jeremy Hunt, I think, I think a smart appointment. It does cause problems, uh, as we said, because she can't please everyone right now, and she's having to appease. Uh, she'll probably have to sling back and try and appease the right wing of the party that supported her. But that's a that's a big step for cabinet ministers who've only been in post for a matter of weeks to stick the head above a parapet and say, and say it's time to go. I would say what Boris did do, which did buy him time, and it absolutely links to the press conference we've been talking about today, is he did show a great deal of almost groveling humility. And that did buy him time. The road, obviously, as we know, did run out, but it did buy him time. You know, when we did that Sue Gray press conference, if you remember, I mean, that literally feels like a million years ago. But if you think back to that, it was well over an hour long, I think we did 20, 30 questions and then he just left it open to the room and took extras as well. Mm. He gave everyone their pound of flesh. And yes, that's important for the media, but it's actually very important for those MPs that were, that were, that were you know, fractions away and cabinet ministers, I, I presume as well, fractions away 
from turning on him. They saw him bleeding out a bit, showing that humility, showing that he was willing to look people in the eye across the media and and take responsibility for a mistake. I must have missed the bit where um, uh, Boris Johnson showed humility and apologised for <laughs> gaslighting the country <laughs> by breaking laws that he was asking us all to abide by. That 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 must have passed me by. Carry on. No, no, of, of course, <laughs> of, of course, and that that is always what he, I, I guess what obviously sticks in the memory. But but it, I would it is almost my job. My my job is. A, ah, a loyal no, it's not anymore. Tonight, you don't have to be loyal to him. Well, I, I still I, I still miss the guy. So so, j, j, but you do forget there was a lot of of flesh giving from Boris. There really was. You know, he was he was on TV nearly every day doing pool clips. Where I do agree with you is I, I think she has bought herself some time with the appointment of Jeremy Hunt. I think for, for sure there will be a, a sitting back now and waiting for October the 31st and the economic plan. And I think that economic plan will be sufficient to calm the market. So I think all of these things are true. But I also think that right now what is primarily keeping her in place is the inability of the Conservative Party to find a unity candidate that they will coalesce around. And this isn't yeah. just an issue that has infected the Conservative Party under Liz Truss or Boris Johnson. It has been going way back to, and yes, I'm going to say it, Brexit. We need to understand as a country, as a media, and the Conservative Party definitely needs to understand but what died in that press conference, that Liz Trust press conference, what should die is the idea of populism in politics. The idea that there are, you know, simple solutions to complex problems in life. We talked last week and we would talk a lot in Whitehall Sources about the complexity and the trade-offs of being in power, the difficulty of being a prime minister, the, the really little room for Nuva you have in the decisions that you make. You know, there is no magic money tree. We didn't get Brexit done. We don't have a clear plan for social care. And until we accept as a media and as a country and as politi you know, as political parties, that that that, that everything comes with trade-offs mm. and that compromise isn't a dirty word, we might very well find ourselves here again. It is so good to speak to you both and to uh, dissect what was quite the press conference from Liz Trust. To be honest, we weren't expecting to be here with you on the podcast again so soon, um, but such was the nature of events this week. We thought we'd drop into your feed once again, and we're glad to bring you Stop It and Roll It. Uh, which lent itself to our analysis of Liz Truss's quite remarkable and indeed short press conference. I suppose on that note, Quasi Quarteng wasn't expecting to be fired so soon. Jeremy Hunt, perhaps, wasn't expecting to be Chancellor so soon either. We don't, we don't think, but who can tell? Next time on Whitehall Sources, we will open the doors to the correspondence unit. We will read your emails, your comments on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, that'll come, we think on Thursday. Um, if everything is unravelling before that, then of course we'll pop right back into your feed. But in theory, you've got at least a few days to email. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com. Until next time, whenever that turns out to be, goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.